Today's episode of The Full 60 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you, which I think a lot of us need right now. Certainly I do. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And the name of that podcast, again, is Remarkably Remote. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is Nashville Predators broadcaster Pete Weber, who does the play-by-play for the Predators. And as you'll find out, Pete is, not only is he a great storyteller, which we knew, and he's funny, if you ever have listened to him call a game, uh, you also know. But he has a fascinating background. His path to become... Uh, to fill the position he currently fills uh, meant a lot of stops in a lot of cities doing radio for a lot of different sports from minor league baseball in Bakersfield to NBA basketball in Seattle. And of course, if you probably know, he was in Buffalo a long time uh, doing Bills and Sabres. And it's so it makes for some incredible stories. And not only that, this is what I learned about Pete in having this conversation with him. He is a collector of audio. So if there is a, you know, a, let's say a meltdown that's caught during a press conference or whatever, Pete squirrels it away. And he's got this great collection of audio clips. So anytime he references one of them, or, or oftentimes in this conversation, he's he's like, he, he has that audio clip in his collection. So he sent over a few of them that we were able to, uh, not we, Tyler, producer Tyler was able to edit in. So this is a little bit different. You're getting a fun conversation with Pete. You're getting some audio clips um, from his collection and just a, a really fun conversation. So let's just jump right to it. The Full 60 with Pete Weber. Well, Pete, first of all, thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm always curious during this time, and I, don't, and I honestly don't know when this is going to run, probably sometime in the next couple of weeks, and everything changes by the hour. So uh, who knows? But like, how, what are you doing to keep busy? What, how are you entertaining yourself right now? Uh, I'm doing a lot of talk show interviews. I think everybody's desperate for <laughs> okay. somebody yeah. to to speak with uh, and I podcast. Know. And so this is one of uh, three for me scheduled so far today. Uh, and Get out. The other things I've been doing. No, no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. And uh, then I take a look at NHL Network. And right now I am watching the Edmonton Oilers knock off Mike Keenan's uh, Philadelphia Flyers for the Stanley Cup in 85. So uh, that's sort of bringing me back in time more than a little bit. And last night on Predators Radio, they replayed the triple overtime victory over San Jose in 2016 with uh, the goal scored by Mike Fisher at like 103 in the morning. And then on Fox Sports Tennessee, they replayed a Predators October comeback win in Nashville over the Washington Capitals. So I should have been very tired uh, taking in two games that I did uh, simultaneously, but uh, it was fun. <laughs> How do you feel listening to yourself? I, like, so one of my things I hate doing is transcribing 
interviews because I'm like, oh gosh, oh Craig, we stopped talking. Like, how? Like when you if you're in the car and, and you something comes on, like what, I'm sure you're way more used to it than I am. But what is that like for you? It's it can be surreal, and it especially yeah. when they play you something back that is from year. Let's say somebody came up uh, a few years ago with the uh, VHS tape of Bob Miller and me calling oh the gosh. night Randy Holt had 67 minutes and penalties in one game at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. That was more than a little bit surreal, especially when we consider it was somebody on the flyer side who passed the recording along to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's wild. I was going to ask, so I, like, not to jump all the way back right off the hop here, but I mean, you got your start with Bob Miller, who is uh, an abs- absolute legend. Complete side story, yeah. our real estate agent was like she and her husband were best friends with Bob and his wife. And and so like I'd always get these Bob, great Bob Miller stories uh, yeah. in Detroit. And, and you know, met him, I, you know, when, when the Kings were making their runs a few years ago. What did you learn getting your start with Bob? I learned how to be a pro. I learned that yeah. one thing is extremely important, and that is to maintain your sense of humor, uh, no mm. matter what it is you might be going through. And we... Working, uh, and I only had it for one year. Bob had it for several more. But working for Jack Kent Cook uh, could be a real trial. Working with a general manager such as George McGuire could be another one. And uh, I remember when I left Buffalo to go to Los Angeles, and Marcel Pronovo was the Sabres coach at the time, and he said, watch that George McGuire. He's a little Mm -hmm. crazy. And uh, I I thanked (laughs) Marcel for that uh, years later. Uh, to help give me a little bit of that preparation. But Bob showed me how to prepare to be a play-by-play guy. I was his color yeah. analyst. And okay. we we simulcast at that period of time maybe 20 to 25 Kings games a year on KHJ. And we for radio, we were had our stopwatches working from the time because we wanted everything synced up. So we'd do a different interview on radio than we would on television. And, and Bob you know, taught me how to do that. That was hmm. uh, tr- that was probably better than any curriculum, and I'm sorry, Newhouse School at Syracuse. I cannot imagine having had a better teacher, better instructor than Bob Miller at that point in my career. That's that's amazing. So when you say like a GM is crazy, or you're dealing with an owner, um, what does that look like? I mean, I, I imagine, especially you know what you're doing, what you're saying is is really probably um, analyzed closely. And you're a positive guy, so it's not like you're trashing the team. But like, right. what kind of what does that look like when you have somebody who I imagine? Okay, is, is, I, I, I will closely? send you some audio. I'll send you some audio later if you wish to audit, edit it in because yeah, uh, there was an incredible news conference after they restructured the uh, Richard Martin trade to the Kings. And a, a female reporter asked George a pointed question, and George came up with a very uh, straight, to-the-point sort of answer. You're 29 years of age. I expect to be around here a heck of a long time. Uh, I know I've got a, after the negotiations finished, I have a very happy owner on my hands, and I have a very happy hockey player on my hands. And you fellas have got a very happy general manager on your hands. How long are you going to stay happy? <laughs> I stay happy all the time. Do you have a 
feeling, do you have any kind of feeling that Scotty Bowman tried to screw you in the original deal? No. That would be the last thing uh, that I would say. I don't think Scotty Bowman would screw anybody. <laughs> Uh, let's say that I think, I really do, I'm curious when I say this, now on all jokes aside, I think Scotty did not appraise the medical information that he got on Richard correctly. Uh, Scotty was of the opinion uh, that Richard could play. He kind of thought that possibly he was dogging. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I took the medical information I got to heart. I didn't try to push him. I don't want to hurt the boy's career. We're talking about a man that earns a lot of money. And if I force him to play, he could sue me for damages. What the hell? Uh, he says he can't play. I have to take his word. And he's been very honest and worked off his hard since he's been here. But I don't think Scotty set out to screw me at all. But then George also one night called Bob and me in late in the year and asked if we would not mention defenseman Bob Murdoch's name during the broadcast that night. And we said, why? Is, is he not going to play? Oh, he's going to play. He's going to play. Uh, well, it turned out later that he was, at that point in time, Jack Kent Cook was remotely controlling the team as he was trying to establish his residency as being in Nevada for divorce laws there, rather than divorce laws in California, which was the old 50-50 split. So he thought, Mr. Cook thought that Mr. Murdoch was way too close to some of his incentive clauses. So he didn't want Mr. Cook to hear that Bob Murdoch was playing. Now, this was a very difficult assignment that George wanted us to execute for him because all Bob Murdoch did was play a regular shift, and he was first on the penalty kill and first on the power play. So, hey, Bob, who's that guy over there, number number five on the point? I don't know. I don't know who that is. You know? So we went ahead and mentioned his name, much to the chagrin of George McGuire. Oh, you did mention it. I mean, what are you yeah. going to do? You got You can't just be like, uh, and now it goes over to a defenseman. Yeah, yeah we got to make up That's a name. That's amazing. Like the Federal the, Witness Protection Program? <laughs> Did they not have box scores and stats? Like, oh, is yes. that the only way to know if a guy plays? Well, yeah, oh. but the key was so that, because Cook listened to all of our broadcasts. Yeah. And so that he wouldn't hear it and then call George right away and raise holy Hades with him. Uh, that pretty much was the way that worked out. So, uh, and, and I mean, I, once, I remember once uh, we asked through Nate Greenberg in Boston, if he could ask George to come over and join us for an intermission on the other side of the Boston Garden. And that, he didn't show up. And then after the yeah. game, he said, well, what prompted that request? We said, well, your general manager of the team thought maybe, you know, and he didn't travel with us that much. He only traveled to the games in Montreal so he could be close to his old home base of Ottawa. He was not a traveling, watching the team play in person sort of general manager. So he asked us what prompted that request, and we told him, he said, well, we'd like to talk to you about the team at this point. We're coming near trade deadline and so on. He goes, well, I'm not going to do it. And well, You're not going to come on the air with us? I'm not because I'm not part of that Zenith deal. Now, that was his mispronunciation of Zenith, and Zenith gave us $500, uh, I, I think, no, no, like uh, $50 for each intermission guest to pass along. But since he did not qualify for it under the organizational setup at the time, he wasn't going to do it if he had to do it for free. Oh, that's so amazing. I can't imagine. Like, imagine David Poyle or something doing that today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this, this David Poyle is the absolute, if there can be more of an antithesis of George McGuire, I don't know who yeah. it would be. 
Yeah, that it would probably be David. Is yeah. that who you interviewed with? Who, like, not to, I, I like to kind of keep things in order, but I do like it. Just strike me like you. You're in Buffalo a long time, and yeah. and then the Nashville opening comes up, and I I, I believe because I, I read somewhere your your wife's family was in Knoxville. Is that right? That was the connection that is to, correct. to Tennessee. And I was upstairs at my home office in Kenmore, New York, reading the Prodigy Internet service, and it said. The National Hockey League is going to provisionally award franchises to Nashville, Atlanta, Columbus, and St. Paul, Minnesota. And I called downstairs to my lovely wife, Claudia, and I said, wouldn't it be easier on holidays and other events if we were just like two and a half hours away rather than 11 to 12 hours away trying to drive down to Tennessee? And she said, yes. So I proceeded that way. I found Craig Leopold in Racine, Wisconsin. FedExed my stuff to him the next day, and uh, that was then followed. So that was in in '97 about that provisional okay. awarding. So I followed up for the next year. Then Jerry Helper, who was with me with the Buffalo Sabers, had yeah. signed on with the Preds, and he to started boosting. Yep, he boosted yeah. my candidacy at that point, and we came down to Knoxville for Fourth of July '98. Oh, and I'm sorry, i got to back up a little bit. The, the expansion draft to stock the Predators was held in my building in Buffalo, along with the entry draft for the league in June of 98. So at that point in time, Jerry made sure to introduce me to Craig Leopold and to team president Jack Diller. Now, I've been known as a collector of uh, sports bloopers for many a year, and uh <laughs> I held on I to them, and I, I, gave the, I gave it to them on thumb drives, including the audio I will send you of George McGuire's memorable press conference where, uh, you know, unfortunately, the late Liz Shanoff asked the critical question. But we, that was a, that was a period of time there, so we just followed up. And then, and I kind of talked this over with Dan Duva before he got the job with the Vegas Golden Knights, how late in the game you get hired before the first game, before the first game. And uh, I got hired, uh, I believe my signature went down on the dotted line somewhere around August 20th or August 21st, and training camp opened here September 12th. Dan Duva's timing was uh, strangely uh, similar to all of that when he signed on with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So uh, you know, when you're putting together a team from scratch, I yeah. think really the broadcaster is not that high on the list of priorities. <laughs> it should be, in my opinion. Mine also, but uh, we aren't we aren't the guys who have to make the player decisions. Who was who was the guy that the Thrashers hired right away? He was um, gosh, with he had that like a, I think he was like the a gravelly, sports radio, gravelly guy. Voice. Yeah, real gravelly yes. like that. Oh my, yeah, God. it was such a unique thing. And then Dan Kamal, who was there when Scott, I was there, ended up being and, and Scott Danny, Farrell. That's Scott right. Farrell, Danny, uh, really was the backup. He was the guy there to ready to do it if it should work out and then i recall what that first season his wife had twins or triplets uh pharrell's okay. wife and that yeah. uh there were some health difficulties there and that resulted in uh scott being pulled away for a bit and yeah. uh that, that was the really the opening the entree for dan kamal who ultimately even spent a year covering the team as the winnipeg jets oh he did yes I'm kidding um, all right, so so you're so you're you're pitching Craig Leopold. You're giving out thumb drives at the draft. Um, how yes. did you, what ultimately got you over the top? I mean, you were well established. Like you had to be the heavy favorite to get this job. 
I mean, well, at least on. heavy. At least heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what, what we, uh, I think, finally it was coming down to Knoxville for Fourth of July weekend and uh, purloining my father-in-law's car to drive over to Nashville and meet with the people in what were then the very rudimentary offices uh, at the rake. And uh, I think that pretty well, face to face, I think helped quite a bit. Yeah. All right. So you dropped a couple of things in that story that I already want to highlight. Well, first of all, thanks for the prodigy reminder. I, I hadn't thought of prodigy <laughs> in years. That was, I remember that was the first time I'd ever seen, you know, live scores come through with a, right. a computer. And, and like you could sit there and go, hey, the, you know, uh, the, the Chicago White Sox are playing in California. And I remember hitting, you know, refresh or whatever it was. The scores <laughs> yes. were live. And it was, it was, like a whole nother thing, except the only thing was it tied up your phone line. So you'd, you know, I would yeah. be on it all night and, you know, my sister would want to, you know, call somebody and it was led to fights in our house. But well, that's there'd crazy be an interruption. Prodigy. There'd be an interruption yeah. and you'd say, you'd holler downstairs, okay, who picked up the phone? Uh, <laughs> that's and, right. And that you'd get, of, yeah, you'd get dropped. Yeah. It, oh was, my it gosh. was funny. But there are two people I know of uh, who are still using the Prodigy service, not for news and so on, but. Our good friend John Forsland, who's in self-quarantine uh, at his home now outside Raleigh, North Carolina, after being yeah. in the same hotel room as Rudy Gobert. And We're just talking about that. Scott Carmichael, who was the Kings PR guy during the Miracle on Manchester period when the Kings came back and beat the Oilers 6-5 in overtime after being down 5 nothing through two periods. Scott Carmichael still uses that. Wait, like to log in? I didn't know it still existed. Well, not to log in, no, for his email, etc. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. So I, you can still use a Prodigy email. I would, like, that yes. would be, I know, so I, I had this discussion with my editor who has an AOL email, and I feel like that ages you. So I'm, <laughs> I was giving him a hard yeah. time. I'm like, I go, you know, if your personal email is an AOL email, I wonder if, uh, I feel, you know, I always feel like you can, you can talk. But it's like. I mean, those are, those are collector's items. And then the other thing you said, all right, so you collect bloopers. What does that look like? What's the well, backstory there? It, it really, there? I have all the Tommy Lasorda tirades. I have oh, right. Earl Weaver when he was going at it with umpire Bill Haller. And Bill Haller knew he was mic'd up for a Baltimore television station thing. And he was giving it to Earl big time. Behind a rubber. Oh, bullshit. Bullshit yourself. You're here. And this crew is here just to fuck us. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, because you Good. put I'm your finger on me. I'm glad you hit me. That's right. You're here for one goddamn specific reason. What's that, Earl? To fuck us. Ah, oh, you're full of shit. Fuck you. Years and years. And don't you ever put your finger on me. You hit me, Earl. You put your finger on That's me. That's okay. I didn't. You ain't going to knock nobody on your ass. You do it again, and I'll knock you right in your nose. I didn't touch you. You pushed your finger. I did not. No, you're lying. My good yeah. buddy in Chicago, Les Grobstein, was the only one who had a recorder in front of Lee Elia when he went off on the fans of Chicago and said 75% of the people in this world work. The rest of them come out here to boo my team, uh, hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, and I've got the hockey ones. I've got some 
hilarious uh, speakings by Terry Crisp and myself working together here on Predators Broadcast. Uh, Bob Miller has supplied me with a few. Nick Nixon has supplied me with a few. So it's been a collective effort. And I, and I must say, uh, Tim Saunders of the Flyers uh, is one of those people who sends me contributions just out of the blue every now and then. But I've got them for all the sports. I mean, I've, I've got uh, football coaches going crazy. Uh, but my, my favorite coach that I ever worked with, aside from Marv Levy, was Lou Saban. And uh, Lou Saban, I wish I had the video of him on a Sunday night TV show in Buffalo where he's at the blackboard diagramming a play for the, for the electric company to spring loose O.J. Simpson. And it, it didn't work that day. And he, he threw the chalk down and threw the eraser at the board. He goes, damn it, that play should have worked. And that was on live television. <laughs> That's great. That's great. My favorite. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this. Is is the is the Casey Kasem losing it? Oh yes. A, 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 the long about distance the recommendation. About yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, you got, you you might have to send me a good one to to plug in right here. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna make producer Tyler work uh, overtime and plug in some. I'm gonna good take ones. some notes I, I, here. I, 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 so you want George yeah. McGuire? We need George McGuire. And we need uh, maybe Tommy Alien. Lasorda. Are we allowed to even use this? What, what's the copyright rules on this? There's no copyright on this now. A- so, okay. okay. Tommy Lasorda, which was in the background on that, Dave Kingman's performance, and it was Mother's Day, I believe it was 78, where Kingman hit three home runs, including one in extra innings to beat the Dodgers. And my buddy Paul Olden, who has been the last few years the uh, public address announcer at Yankee Stadium, just sent him birthday greetings the other day. He's the one who asked Tommy the immortal question after that game. What's your opinion of Kingman's performance? And Tommy went off on a long, long tirade on that. What's your opinion of Kingman's performance? What's my opinion of Kingman's performance? What the fuck you think is my opinion of it? I think it was fucking horseshit. Put that in. I don't fucking opinion of his performance. Jesus Christ, he beat us with three fucking home runs. <laughs> What the fuck do you mean? What is my opinion of this performance? How can you ask me a question like that? What is my opinion of his of, of his performance? Jesus Christ, he hit three home runs. Jesus Christ. I'm fucking pissed off to lose a fucking game. And you ask me my opinion of his performance. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a tough question to ask me, isn't it? What is my opinion of his performance? Yes, it is. I asked it, and you gave me an answer. Well, I didn't give you a good answer because I'm mad, but I mean... That wasn't a good question. That's a tough question to ask me right now. What is my opinion of his performance? I mean, you want me to tell you what my opinion of his performance is? You just did. That's right. Jesus Christ. Guy hits three home runs against us. Shit. I mean, I don't want to... I don't mean to get pissed off or anything like that, but, uh, you know, you asked me my opinion... I mean, he put on a hell of a show. He hit three home runs. He drove in, what, seven runs? Eight. Eight runs. So what the hell more can you say about it? I didn't mean to get mad or anything like that, but goddamn. He asked me my opinion of his, of his performance. See it, Joe. Oh, I know what you need. Sparky okay. Anderson about being <laughs> fair with writers. Oh, great. Because I played this with him. This happened when he was at his last, as it turned out, he didn't know. None of us did. His last uh, season managing the Reds. And he had come into town and done a newspaper interview previewing the series. But 
Yeah. We're going to get down to that whole thing, Craig, that I'm sure you're quite familiar with. Headline oh, writers yeah. not truly paying attention to the crux of the story. And Sparky had said uh, that if the Reds come in and sweep this series, the Dodgers are dead. So, of course, the headline was Anderson, colon, Dodgers are dead. And then oh, yeah. this, this will be his diatribe after that. No, well, but I don't give a shit. Uh, you know, to me, I don't care what the fucking headline says. The, whoever writing a fucking story better control the headline then. Because that's a lot of bullshit. I don't need to come in this town and be made look like a fucking fool, and I'm not going to buy that bullshit. So they can stick it in their fucking ass. I don't really give a shit about nothing. You said on the pregame show that, you know, sometimes you don't feel like it's worth it, you know. You were in you were in with Danny when he had his little problem. Do you, you mean that? You're well, yeah. This guy's no, I know, but I think it's horseshit when fucking people will call you and you're trying to be right with people and you pick up a fucking paper and it's total bullshit. Now, I don't think you have to do that. If you're going to shoot right with fucking writers and be good to them and everybody else and then the cocksucker's going to turn around and fuck you, I don't think it's right. Now, I'll tell you, you can stick it in their fucking ass as far as I'm concerned. I mean it. Now, that's, that's the way I'm going to be. I say this. I've always been fair with fucking writers. And now, when the son of a bitch is going to be that fucking way, fuck it. I don't, you know, I don't give a shit about it. I'll be honest. Take, take, stick it in their fucking ass. Do whatever they well, I got people here, too, you know, and when a fucking brother-in-law calls you up and says, what the fuck are you doing? It's a fucking joke that you have to come home and have bullshit like that. That's all I got to say. Sparky was, so that's, you know, I grew up in, as a Tigers fan, and that was, you know, yeah. that was my guy, like Sparky Anderson. I still, like, I, I, I can see him coming out to go to the pitcher's mound and skipping over the baseline. Like, I still do that on a baseball yes. field. Like, I, you know, you can't step on the baselines and... All that. That's that is fantastic. Now, do you if have? You don't a, like uh, Troy Lavolo. If you don't like Troy Lavolo, you don't like ice cream. <laughs> that's right. That was one of his favorite pronouncements. That's great. Uh, Tori Lavolo, who like so that I mean, we're getting right into my childhood now. Like, so I, I've always and I still am like love like the drafts and prospects and all that. And so he was he was one of those you know Tiger next going to be superstars after their yeah kind of their their, their wave of success. UCLA's all time hits leader. Yeah, and you're, I remember being so excited. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this kid to get, you know, he's in Toledo or whatever. And then, you know, the same era, like Scott Lucader and all these guys. And oh, yeah. it doesn't always pan out as as you might nope, think. So, but do you he's have a panned f- out as a manager now. And I knew his yeah. dad really well, too. His dad was the producer of Hee Haw, Sam Lavolo. What? A kid a kid from Buffalo's Italian uh, West Side. And he somehow or another, he ended up in Nashville producing Hee Haw. That's amazing. And you know him somehow? Well, unfortunately, he has passed away now. But we used okay. to uh, meet him all the time at Kentucky Downs when we would uh, kind of along the lines of what Eddie Olchek loves to do, uh, scouting through and trying to find uh, upset winners in the daily racing form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. Now, do you, have a, do you have a favorite of your own um, bloopers or a moment with, with Terry Crisp that – that is, I your have own one that favorite? I will not describe for for you here. Okay, but I will okay. send it to you, and All I right. think you will enjoy it greatly. It was just simply a misspeaking about what a predator defenseman did to clear the zone. Johnson and Johnson clears it just ahead of Hartnell. Nice play by Kale Halsey. He couldn't get a stick loose, all tied up, so he just simply took a nice cock soccer kick and got that thing up to Greg Johnson, and he just puts it all the way down. I. Back out across the line to center. 
dumped behind the net. Ragnarsson for San Jose. Stewart up for Thornton. Hook checked away from the Nashville line. Predators back at full strength. Tank right out of the net. Off it comes now for Thornton. Tipped around. <laughs> off for Stewart. The shot off the glove of uh, Predators defenseman in question here is Kale Hulse. Who ended up okay. marrying one of the girls from uh, from Baywatch? This is this is like we're just jam packed with trivia here. This is fantastic. Pete. <laughs> that's um, my life. <laughs> that, that's, that is great. Uh, our, it, it's funny. You, I mean, you mentioned um, slip ups, or even I, I was just surprised to hear you swear. Someone said that you never, you, you won't do anything. I think I, maybe I read this. You won't you, like you wouldn't even say like the best damn sports show when that was a promo. I would is not that, say that. No. BDSSP, yeah. I, because I was, I saw very early on how many youngsters were listening and hanging on what we were saying here in Nashville. And that's right. when I guess that's when my Puritan uh, Catholic <laughs> instinct kicked in. And uh, yeah. so I, I, I just said, it's one thing if you have an honest uh, expression of anger sure. or whatever, sure. but to be scripted no, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, is, does that work in you, like when your calls? I, I, it seems like everything seems to come fairly naturally. Like you don't seem like a guy who's coming up with catchphrases or. No, know, I don't like that, that sort of thing. I don't like this. Yeah. I mean, I, and I still have not. And now that I'm going to have some time, maybe I dive into Hank Azaria and his show on IFC about the uh, frustrated minor league baseball announcer. Uh, I, I might go after that. Yeah. What, I don't know that show. I, I will recall the uh, title here in just a little bit as, yeah. as we can continue. But uh, that IFC, it was just a, a dominant show beginning about two, three years ago. And available yeah. basically on streaming television. So it tells you that it is a relatively uh, recent thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I mean, we've touched on baseball. You grew up listening to Harry Carey, which is yes. to Cardinals games. Um, yes, what was that like? I mean, I found out right away that he was having, and Jack Buck and Joe Garagiola, and on occasion Jerry Gross, were having a great deal of fun doing what they did. And then I filed that away. Then later on, I found out, hey, they're getting paid to do this. Maybe <laughs> this is something that uh, I could pursue in my future. Uh, so yeah. that's that, that was the thought, and that was getting you know embedded in me. Oh. Uh, by the way, Hank Esri, it was Brockmeyer is that series, okay. about the frustrated minor league announcer. But that was something I would pursue. And then lo and behold, uh, when I go to college at Notre Dame and get on the student radio station, my sports director is Joe Garagiola Jr. And uh, we did all the sports up there. And we really? had, I think there, there were 30 of us or so. And his younger brother, Steve, of course, on TV in Detroit for years. Yeah, uh, he does the local news here. Right. He had switched from sports to news, and I recall yeah. that. Steve was yeah. a couple of years behind us. And uh, then, lo and behold, I take minor league baseball tours because I spent so much here that this last summer, I go down and uh, see the Blue Wahoos play down in uh, the panhandle of Florida. And who was their voice? Joe Garagiola Jr.'s son. 
Wow. That's and amazing. He's asking me questions about his dad in college, and I'm trying to protect the past as best I can. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I don't tell my kids anything about anything. Good. I want them to think I was a, a choir boy, which I was, if, if they're listening. Uh, there's no <laughs> there's no debate. So, yeah, but I imagine, I mean, those are some powerhouse names you're growing up listening to. So, that, I mean, I imagine that impacted you in ways you probably don't even realize, right? Like, these are the Correct. These are Hall of Famers. And then the other Hall of Famers that I was listening to with Jack uh, Jack Brickhouse doing, mm. I primarily listened to him on the Bears, Lloyd Pettit on the Blackhawks, and then what a great confluence of events later on, because as soon as the Preds came into being, their farm club was the Milwaukee Admirals, owned by mm. Lloyd Pettit. So I got to spend a little bit of time with him in our early years at uh, at uh, training camp workouts and uh, preseason games. And that was one of the greatest things you talk about. I was walking around with stars in my eyes and, you know, I could have walked into a wall. I could have been texting and walked into a pole or fell off a bridge just because I loved hearing Lloyd Pettit's voice. Yeah. There's just something about, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, just the audio and the, in the radio, like it's, it's just, I love it. Like I still love listening to old calls. I, I was telling someone else this, I think, in another one of the one of these conversations. But like, there was a point last summer where I just, I, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can get an old like Ernie Harwell call from the '60s, yes. and we just were sitting on the porch listening to it. And it's just like, just that background sound um, is the best. Same thing for me with Red Barber, and mm -hmm. uh, and and his his speaking of prodigy again, his his protege, uh, Vin <laughs> Scully. Because you hear a lot of red in Vin, and I think Vin took it another step and really perfected the art. But yeah. I love those things too, and it's almost like now with digital radio, we don't get to hear those little things when you're trying to tune in on an analog dial, a distant station, yeah. and you would hear what would sound like somebody playing either the drums or the cymbals in the background as you're right, trying right. to find your way through that signal. Yeah, no, it's it, it's lost. And... and um but it's like, you know, you can sit there and listen to it, and I'm sure a million kids sit there and go, oh, I, I would like to do this for a living. I, I like the, the origin story for you, though. Some Someone was at a game, maybe a high school game, where they had to use the facilities, and you jumped in and, <laughs> and helped out. Can yes, you tell that story? Yes. Yeah, I was a senior in high school. I had, at Costa High School in Galesburg, Illinois, I had uh, pinched a nerve in my neck, so I could not play. And okay. I found an opening for someone to take in essentially on the prep desk at the Galesburg Register Mail. And uh, after a while, they sent me out to cover some games, and I was at uh, Costa versus Deer Creek Mackinac near Peoria, <laughs> if people need to know, and yeah. uh, doing the game. And all of a sudden, Jim Swickard, who had been sports editor of the Register Mail and then moved on to a local radio station, well, when you do the morning drive show and then do a high school football game on Friday night, you might have an attack of too much coffee in the system. And he had yeah. to relieve himself of that. So he said, here, through the mic my way, because it's just up there in the press box. And he went downstairs, and then I worked uh, maybe the next 10 minutes or so with his partner, Roger Dean. No relation to the guy they named the baseball stadium after in Florida. But Roger Dean and I uh, did the, the Costa-Deer Creek-Mackinac game for about 10 minutes together. And I think as a high school senior, that's when I really became bit by the broadcast mm. bug, even though I was thinking about writing all the time, but
But, I mean, the broadcasting thing, going back to listening to Harry and Jack and all those guys on the 50,000-watt boomers in the Midwest, and then having that opportunity made me realize I think that's probably where I'm going to aim, at least for a while. Yeah. Did did you, I mean, you mentioned kind of uh, Vince Scully having some Red Barber in him. Do you feel like you had your influences? Without question. And Harry is one of them. If you ever heard one of my yeah. minor league baseball broadcasts, I've only got 16 years worth of those. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was uh, the, the huge influence. Scully was another. But when yeah. I got my first job calling baseball on the radio, it was with Albuquerque in the Pacific Coast League in 81. Boy, did I get spoiled there. That team went 93-38 and 38 and uh, won the championship so easily it wasn't even funny. But that the Dukes? Yes, everybody yeah. seated next to me in the other booth grew up in California, and they were all doing various versions of Vin Scully. Yeah, and uh, so here I was, the uh, the if the, the not reluctant, but certainly bringing Harry Carey into the Pacific Coast League at that point in time, and I was not consciously emulating Harry, but maybe some of his inflections and so on. Uh, were what came up in my broadcast style. So you, you were doing like uh, Will Ferrell as uh, no, look at the guy no. in the sombrero, <laughs> Harry Carey. No, 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 no. Not doing <laughs> right, that. Or not. Right. There's so many comedians do him so well. And I think the guy who probably does it best, I see every now and then at a comedy club here in Nashville, uh, John Carbonara. He, he is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's great. When when How long were you in Albuquerque? Just the one year. Just the one okay. year. I was. Uh, right. It was between... I had just uh, finished my third season with the Kings. The Dodgers were looking for somebody to come to their AAA team. David Glass had just left Albuquerque to join the San Francisco Giants. And so I took advantage of that opening to go in there. And then, lo and behold, the way things happen so quickly sometimes in this business, I had started but was not under contract to the Kings the next year. And all of a sudden, the Seattle Supersonics wanted to hire me to do their play-by-play on their Sonic Super Channel. And through Chick Hearn, who was our director of broadcasting at the forum, and John Spolstra, whose uh, son has been coaching pretty successfully in Miami, they yeah. uh, made the recommendation, and I went north to Seattle, as it turned out, for only one year. The next thing I knew, I was covering Gaylord Perry's 300th win at the Kingdom and uh, heading back to Buffalo and starting restarting my career in that city. That's amazing. I, I don't think people realize. So one of my good friends uh, from school, it's a guy named Joe Block, who is now oh, the yeah. Pirates play-by-play play play guy. Great guy. I was and I was I, with Joe at a Tennessee sportscasting camp. Were you really? Yeah. Yes. He's a, he's So, you know, we're good friends. And I basically got to watch him live out what you're saying, where it's just like you take whatever job, like he's doing, you know, A-ball, selling ads, whatever it takes. And then he's like, oh, there's an opening now in South Carolina. And I'm going to go yep. there. And now there's one in Jacksonville. And you're, you're like, you, as long as you're going one rung up the ladder, you feel like you're progressing. And, you and just, he was in Jacksonville when we met. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He was in Jacksonville. And, um, and yeah, you just you, you have to have this passion where you're like, I, it's like everything, this is going to be the focus for a while until I can finally figure out, you know, get to where I need to get. Why else would I not have gotten married until I was 38? Yeah. Yeah, that's you met your wife in Buffalo, right? At the odd uh, before uh, <laughs> a Sabres uh, Quebec Nordiques game in 1985. Oh, 
All right. Well, let's talk about the Buffalo era for a minute. You, I mean, yeah. so you obviously did the Sabres, but you also were doing the Bills. You did a radio show, I believe, and correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, during their Super Bowl runner-up era. I mean, what an incredible time to be close to that team. Well, I was also, I think that I had earned that, though, because earlier we were doing a weekly TV highlight show, Buffalo Bills Magazine, and you can tell how excited people would have been because the team was two and 12, or, or yeah, two and 14, two and 14, and four and 12. Sign Jim Kelly, okay. double their win total, go to four and 12. Yeah. So then I later become sports director of the station that gets their rights and only had them for the four Super Bowl years. So uh, a guy who worked with me and now works with Joe Block, Greg Brown, was part of our broadcast team as well with the great Van Miller and uh, Eddie Ritkowski, who had been the disaster quarterback whose fumble allowed the Bills to draft O.J. Simpson. Uh, mm. th that was a tremendous period of time. And uh, now I'm, I'm still going to the Nashville Bills backers outings here <laughs> during the course of the football <laughs> season, uh, speaking to them and so on. And uh, I run into ex-Bills uh, on the road quite a bit while I'm on the road with the Predators, have dinner yeah. with them, uh, talk with the uh, Marv Levy, when we go to Chicago uh, and get the old stories from him again, it was a, a great association, a tremendous time to be certain. And I also was the guy covering the team when Scotty Bowman was running the show with the Buffalo Sabres. Hmm. I mean, this is so I can't even wrap my head around some of this. When do you become? I mean, so you're about, you're doing everything: NBA, minor league baseball, NFL. When does hockey become the focus? Actually, it was the first big league uh, job I got with Bob Miller right. in 1978. And then I left because I knew, I mean, Jack can't cook, bless him, because he was one of the few who didn't hire all ex-athletes on his broadcast. Uh, mm. And so I got that chance with the Kings. As a matter of fact, I think I still have the memo here on my computer Hire Mr. Weber. He seems a delightful man. I'm trying to say that in Jack Kent Cook's uh, <laughs> speech. Uh, yeah. And uh, so then I just decided I better focus on play-by-play, -play, which started, I guess, more of the professional wanderlust uh, going after these things. Uh, right. And, and that's that's really was the, the basis of it all. And like Joe, and, and then he goes, and he knew, I think, going to Jacksonville, that uh, Peter Bragan, who ran things down there at the time, didn't believe in holding on to a broadcaster for more than three years. Uh, it yeah. worked out for Joe, but for some other guys, maybe not so much. Right. I think the difference, like Joe was like, I'm going to be base a baseball play-by-play -play guy. Like he grew up idol like, yeah. idolizing Ernie Harwell. That was, and so it, it, to me, your career path is so interesting because it is, it's such a wide range of sports. And I mean, you can tell you have a passion for all, all kinds of sports. Um, and I had a passion, too, John Lowell, who covered the uh, Los Angeles Kings in my early years for what then was the Valley News and Green Sheet and later became yeah. the L.A. Daily News. Well, there he is with the free press. And uh, he would arrange when the, when the Predators would come into Detroit midseason, we'd have dinners with Ernie. That's great. I think John must have done that with a couple people. I feel like he's done oh, yeah. a version of that story before. Yes. Um. That's I great. think John just likes dinners. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's in half too. That? That's that's yeah. that's what I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. How when you when you compare the styles? I mean, it, it's it, we're talking. You know, baseball is this laid back. You know, 
leans and kicks and deals, you know, <laughs> delivery versus hockey. To me, hockey, the, the degree of difficulty that has to be the highest amongst all the sports. Uh, it's right up there. Some of my other experiences, though, too, helped me accelerate me for hockey. And that was doing uh, the indoor lacrosse league with uh, really? the first the first starring John Tavares, the uncle right. of the current right. Johnny T on the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. And whenever I'd run into him, whether it was in his Islanders days or now with the Leafs, we end up talking about his uncle, who he just mm-hmm. absolutely still adores. And uh, at John Tavares, that was probably, that was my third championship team I ever had the chance to announce, the Buffalo Bandits, when they beat Philadelphia. And he was a big part of that. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, so lacrosse. I imagine. Yeah, lacrosse has some similarities there. Oh, I don't know if there's so. as many like European names. Like that to me would be, uh, you know, even I hear people butchering names all the time in hockey, and and like that yes. to me would be the biggest challenge. It's fast paced, and you're you know, there's not a lot, always a lot of vowels involved. No, there's some with no vowels. Let's talk about <laughs> Martin Furt, right? <laughs> right, right. Winning the the fastest slap shot contest, the American League. But yeah, when you don't know what you're doing is going to help you in the future, that was me uh, deciding to major in modern languages, and uh, oh, that, right. that has been a tremendous help. I'm, I'm most I'm most easily done. I'm sorry for the computer noise there. I'm most uh, easily at home in German. Uh, I I took my wife to uh, Innsbruck, Salzburg, and Munich last August, and was able to converse and get us along pretty well there. Uh, which is a little bit surprising because other than discussions with uh, Roman Yossi and Yannick Weber and their parents when they come over, I haven't had that much of an opportunity to speak it. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I know, I mean, so I think you had a, you, you got a, maybe a master's in communications, which makes sense. Right. Uh, the, the modern languages at, this was at, would have been at Notre Dame, right? Right. The Bachelor in Modern Languages. Can you? I don't even know what that means or what that is. Like, what okay, does that study well, look like? It's it's to graduate early, having enough credits, because I spent my sophomore year at the University of Innsbruck, and all of our courses were taught in German, with the exception of American literature. So I had a chance to go to my hometown radio station, midterm seventy two seventy three, and uh, because I had all those credits there, we just changed my major to Modern Languages. And uh, I graduated early and were able, was able to take that first radio job. Hmm. So it was more just a strategy thing. Yes. Much, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What? Well, how long did like? Why German? Is that how come you? My family's background. That? My okay. family's okay. background. Yeah. My grandfather uh, came over late in the 19th century from the Black Forest, and uh, I was able. My parents came over at Christmas time in that 70-71 school year. And we went to my grandfather's uh, old homestead in Niederwinden, Germany. And mm. I got really good at German there because I was translating not only my conversations, but those of my father and my mother. Wow. And, that's amazing. And, and, and you still my in... mom, don't ask for ice because they're going to bring you ice cream. Uh, just we'll, we'll take Sounds care great. of making sure your beverage is cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you studied in Austria too, right? For a bit. Right. Right. So that was a, that was a grand year to be certain. Oh my gosh! Have you read the the mother tongue? I'm actually reading it right now. English and how it got that way. Maybe no, you, that sounds like something I should attack during this period of time. Yes, I I would recommend it. It's pretty like it's basically how words have been formed through the years. Okay, and 
and how English has has evolved. I'm fairly early on, but it's does it, it cover a, uh, Major League Baseball managers? It doesn't. No, okay. maybe it does later, <laughs> later in the book, but it was. Uh, I'm, I, I don't want to give away the ending, but no, there's okay. not, not that I can tell. Uh, gotcha. All right. So, so to wrap up, you, so you, the, the the cool thing, what I love about the the kind of the natural predators experience is, I mean, you got to be there from the start. You, even before you were there, you got to see the expansion draft, and I love, right. and you know, I imagine being there with Barry Trotz and David Poyle and even you know Jerry Helper, like the, the people that were there, aside from Trotzy, like are you know still there. I, I think that's great. Like I love that. What was that like to kind of be there from the beginning and, and see something off the ground? I always wanted to be in on the birth of a franchise. And as you can tell from my loving all sports, it wasn't going to make a great deal of difference to me what sort of franchise it was going to be. But I was very fortunate to be here for that. And I remember studying previous, you know, we had enough expansion going back in hockey, certainly back uh, as far as the formation of the San Jose Sharks and all of that. But then the, the doubling of the league in size, in 67, 68. So I had studied that and tried to find out how long players would even stay around from that uh, original expansion draft, especially yeah. when they're all players, the, their previous teams, for some reason or another, didn't wish to retain. So right. I had seen that the, the Florida Panthers seemed to keep, uh, keep their guys around longer than most of those expansion teams. But then again, in their third season, they went to the cup final. And uh, so a dog sled racer beat them in overtime uh, to win the cup, the uh, yeah. Uwe Krupp, and uh, another good German guy. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> we, uh, so I said, this is probably not going to be that long term. So to think that the general manager, many of the scouts, head coach, assistant coach Brent Peterson, for that matter, too, yeah, and Brent yeah. has worked with me on the broadcast as well recently, uh, to have been together, truly a family type of environment. And that's the sort of thing I think that uh, David Poyle had fostered both at his stops in Washington, what he learned from Cliff Fletcher while uh, with yeah. him with the Atlanta Flames, I think uh, has carried on and carried through. It's been a great, great ride. And uh, I know they're going to replay here shortly uh, on the local radio station, the Preds run to the cup final in 2017. Yeah. And I probably will shed a tear or two listening to some of those later, both for my uh, misdeeds and for some of the things I actually called. Yeah, it's I mean, it's they're You know, they're knocking on the door, the Predators, you know what I mean? Like that that yeah. cup run must have been really cool to, to be able, like uh, to be a part of that and to to experience it with that city after going through the growing pains. And the growing pains. The biggest one, of course, was in 2007 when we didn't know. Uh, if the team would be here that much longer. And my contract yeah. at that point in time said, if the team were to move, I would go with it. So we were preparing the house I'm sitting in right now for sale that hmm. summer. And looking back, it was, you know, Jim Balsilli was going to take them to Hamilton. So right. thinking I would gosh, probably I purchase a house back in Western New York and then commute and go across the bridge every day rather than go through all that landed immigrant uh, paperwork status. Right. He was selling season ticket. Like, the, that was yes, close. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And had he not been, who knows? It might right. have gone through. Had he been a more right. patient individual, that whole move might have been fait accompli. Hmm. And what a, like, 
nothing against Hamilton. I'm sure it would have been no. a great hockey market. But, you know, that Nashville market has become such a unique and incredible place to go watch hockey now. Like, what a loss that would have been for the for the sport. Yes, it would have been. It would have been a tremendous loss. And uh, I'm yeah. glad they didn't. And I still think, and you knew what it was, I, I still think uh, with the proper ownership marketing, so and I still think Atlanta could make it. Yeah. Yeah. I defend Atlanta. I will say that it's, it's a different, it's a different town to me than Nashville. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's, you know, really spread out, um, really transient. The, the fans, even so when I was there, the Braves were winning, they were yeah. winning, you know, making the playoffs every single year. And, you know, they had hard, a hard time selling tickets at times. And I think part of it was just to, the fans got spoiled. Um, but yeah, I remember like, like 10,000 Cubs yeah. fans there for a playoff game. Yeah, because like it they would could get them. It, right. I remember they would have the, the Thrashers would host the Sabres. It seemed like it was always a Sunday afternoon game, and it was. I felt <laughs> like it was seventy five percent Sabres fans, and those you know, like that. Not to get completely sidetracked, but I always argue that they just never had a shot. Right, like that team never won a playoff game. So how can you go into right. a market and and say it's a failure when when you never had that winning run? Like I was at their their only one and only playoff appearance was against the Rangers, and the, there was mm-hmm. two home games at Phillips Arena, and it, and I contend it was as loud as any rink I've ever been in. Like yep. those fans yep. were ready to embrace it, and then had one of the greatest crime nights cleaned. there too. And crime nights by this I mean, uh, were you there the night that uh, Barry Trotz called for a measurement of Ilya Kovalchuk's stick? I wasn't. That was right before. I think John Manasso was the beat writer for the AJC okay. then. Because all of a sudden, I saw Scott Mellenby walking down the hallway with a stick in his hand mm-hmm. to uh, take it away so it couldn't be used as evidence. No kidding. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Kobe, Kobe's stick was pretty curved. Yeah, pretty curved. I mean... <laughs> We're t- we're talking about the Dolly Parton of sticks here. <laughs> it was definitely that. When do you think that? So, like, uh, you know, you you do have to have that run to to cement your, and you almost have to have generations of fans, right? Like, that's the hard thing about yes. an expansion team. In a, you, you know, you're not listening to the to you know Pete Weber call games because your grandpa did. It's all new. When do you think it really took hold in Nashville? I'm going to say that the uh, synergy between the team and the players began in the spring of 2008. The team had been sold in the previous summertime and it stripped down. I mean, uh, yeah, no, yeah. no money to offer Paul Correa another contract. That's Sending right. Scott Hartnell and Chemo Tiemann into Philadelphia, Thomas Vokun to Florida. So a very, very thin roster was threatening to make the playoffs in early April of that year. Big game with the St. Louis Blues. Predators down a goal late. There was no request from public address, nothing on the Jumbotron, but all of a sudden a spontaneous ovation from the fans sprung up uh, in the third period, and it carried on and carried on. Lo and behold, the Predators got the tying and winning goals and went on and actually made the playoffs in 2008. And I Mm. think that was where fans could see the players would respond to them. And I think from there on out, it's been on an upward curve. That's awesome. I, so my two most memorable Predators moments that I was a part of or remember distinctly, it's one was the Marianos shorthanded goal, yes. which was not a great moment for Predators fans. Like, I, I, I think that could have changed history for two franchises. Like, that's, well, that yeah. was crazy. 
because that was the the Blackhawks' first of the three cups. Yeah, and and then uh, number one, everybody on the Predators side of things thought Hosa should have been out for the hit on Dan Hanius, right. for which he only got the That's major. Right. And uh, but earlier, uh, Marty Erat and Jason Arnett not eating the puck deep in the zone to allow a breakaway, as it turned out, for Patrick Kane. You know, not that Patrick mm. Kane's a threatening. Uh, presence out there or anything like that yeah. but yeah give him the puck let's see what he can do uh and that was uh that was a weekend when tornadoes were ripping through middle tennessee at that mm. point in time the local nbc affiliate carrying that game uh then put the, their weather coverage on their main channel and then where they usually carried telemundo they bumped the nbc coverage over there so i handed a note to Doc Emmerich that said, right now, just so you know, in Middle Tennessee, you are Miguel Emmerich, you are working with Eduardo Olchik, and you have Pedro <laughs> McGuire between the benches. That's what's going on in Nashville right now. And then the next weekend, had the Predators even taken that three games to two lead and come back at one game six, they yeah. would have had no place to play here in Nashville because the flood hit the next weekend, the so-called 100-year flood. That's right. Wow. So that, yeah, that would have, I mean, gosh, talk about history going in another direction. All right. So that was, that was, that was the one moment. And then more uh, happier moment for Predators fans. I, I was, when I was at ESPN, I was assigned the Red Wings Predator series um, where the Predators finally broke through and beat the Red Wings after kind of the Detroit yeah, twenty twelve in the playoffs. 2012 it was, gosh, it was a long time. Gosh, that was. And there's one photo that remains in my mind. And I don't even need to see the print of it, but I have it over here in my office. It yeah. was like the so-called Flanders Fields of outside of Montreal hockey because it's the handshake line. And it's yeah. Nick Lidstrom and Shea Weber sort of passing the torch to the younger generation. And mm. uh, that made an immediate uh, impact on me and all the fans here. And that was the last game of Nick's career in the NHL. And he is with some other Hall of Famers who played their last ever games here, Al McInnes and uh, Peter Forsberg. Wow. I remember walking into that Predators dressing room and just the elation of, you know, guys like David Legwan and, that, you know, that had been yeah. trying to break through. It was it was really cool to see. And then Pekka Rene was, uh, I'm, I'm like, this guy will never give up another goal again. Like, I was just convinced <laughs> he was so good. Holy cow. And wow. he was. That yeah. he was, and I think actually still is. He had a difficult last start, but I, I think that uh, if this all gets resumed again, I think the combination of Saros and Rene will be a good one for the Predators. Gosh, I forgot about talking mod- t- hockey in regular times. It seems like yeah, um, yeah, we've gone back in time. Yeah. I'm sorry for that. Oh no, this is I, I I could do this all day. All right, well, so Pete Latsing, you mentioned I read somewhere you mentioned you'd love to write a book someday. Have you yep. started that process? I, I probably should now. But the one yes. thing that impressed me more than anything the last couple of years, uh, Neil Young, one of my musical heroes, who I run yeah. into every now and then when he's recording here in town. And I used to run into his father all the time, going from Buffalo to Toronto to cover hockey. Scott uh, Young, Scott, right? Is that his? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scott Young, when I was talking to him about his son, he goes, how do you know my son? I go, well, music. Really? Yeah, and uh, and of course the family had been split up, so he wasn't uh, as close to Neil perhaps as he wanted to. But Neil Young wrote a book that I think was executed beautifully for e-readers, 
a couple of years ago, filled, chock filled of links for audio and video. And I think that is kind of like the approach I would like to take. Mm. I love that. You so just, you can sit there and talk about a, a call or whatever, and people just click on it, and there it is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's great. Have you seen um, Echo in the Canyon, the docu- documentary about it's, it's kind of the Neil Young era California I've sound seen pieces music. of that, yes. It was good. Yes. It was good. I'm just trying to give people as many recommendations for books and movies as I can right now. That's my service to the Okay, <laughs> to the so listeners. for for movies, and I was very yes. happy NBC Sportsnet just recently replayed The Russian Five, which I had seen yep. in the theater, but loved seeing yep. it again on the uh, – now we have big screens at our house, our houses, too. Uh, absolutely love that. And uh, you know what? I guess I'm just of this age where a lot of Netflix and uh, right now an awful lot of West Wing. I have mm. uh, one episode to go on the next to last year, and then – Tomorrow, my wife and I will start season seven. Yeah. Well, well, good luck to you. Yeah, I, I would. I would also. Um, the Russian Five was great. I saw the debut here at the Fox Theater in Detroit. And yes. Actually, the author Keith Gave, who wrote the book, um, right. was on the pod. Was was fantastic. Just a fascinating story. Um, I, I can I strongly recommend that as well. So, Pete, enjoy your West Wing viewings. Hopefully, um, it's not too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks for doing yeah, this. Exactly. I'm very happy to do this at any point in time, and I hope you enjoy and are able to revel in some of those bloopers I send your way. I can't wait to listen. Thanks, Pete. You got it. I want to thank Pete Weber for joining the podcast this week. That was fun. The audio clips were fun. It was, you know, he he brought up some names I hadn't heard in a long time, and just to it was fun to go through his career and, and reminisce and, and hear some great stories. And it was, it was awesome. So thank you so much, uh, Pete, for, for taking the time to do that. Before we wrap up, uh, I would encourage you a couple things. One, if you haven't reviewed this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to it, it would be a huge help if you did that. So I would say that is number one. Number two, if you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, right now is a really good time. And the best way, normally I would send you to the Full 60 link, which is theathletic.com slash Full 60, and you would get 40% off your subscription. And that's still good if you want to go do that. If you want to take it for a test drive, I would go to any athletic story, preferably one written by me, uh, so I could get credit for it, um, and maybe start with the top 100 sports movies of all time. I didn't write that one, but I had a hand in help putting it together. So um, go into a story if you're not a subscriber, and there'll be a link for a free 90-day trial. And you can go and read all of our coverage. It's it's amazing the things that people are finding to write about right now. Um, going into some classic games or just doing some projections and looking at off-season stuff. Like the creativity from our staff right now has been pretty amazing to watch. So I encourage you, if you're not a subscriber, to go do that. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Pete for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great week. <laughs>